Hello and welcome to the I Can Do podcast with Benjamin Lee. We're here to talk about tips and strategies to have an I Can Do mindset. Life is what you put into it. Get the most you can. Here's your host, Benjamin Lee. Hello and welcome to another episode of I Can Do. I hope and pray all is well with you. I have uh, not recorded anything for the last couple of weeks, so uh, getting back to it, most recently I was in uh, Brooklyn uh, this past uh, weekend, and so I had the opportunity to go out there to preach the gospel, to uh, teach a Bible class, to do some preacher coaching uh, or mentoring, and uh, it worked out really well. I was very encouraged uh, with the work that's taken place there and it was just a good time and, and a great way for me to um, uh, get recharged. So uh, trying to get back in the groove of things here back at home. And hopefully, Lord willing, we will have uh, some more guests on the show working on uh, that here. And so uh, stay tuned for that. So today, what I thought we could do, I want to go back. I need to wrap up my book that I have been reading on this podcast, Life Beyond the Scale. Uh, you can go back to some of the earlier episodes and you can hear and uh, hear about this book, uh, Life Beyond the Scale. And today I'm going to be reading from chapter six. And so this book walks you through some of the events of my life, some of the events of my life from a physical standpoint, from a uh, family standpoint, from a spiritual standpoint. And I'm sharing with you different events that have happened and lessons that I have learned along the way, in particular when it comes to weight loss and my journey of uh, weight loss. Um, And so I want to read to you today chapter 6, which is entitled, Please Pray That I Get Severed. Here we go. We thank you for your services with Pfizer, but we no longer need them. Okay, I don't think it was said exactly like that when I got the call that I was being let go from Pfizer in January of 2009, but I think that statement is close. I mentioned earlier that I had gotten severed from Pfizer. After eight years with the number one company in pharmaceutical sales, I was being let go. Yes, thank you, God. That's not an exaggeration, and let me tell you why. Remember that restless feeling I told you about while I was working at the gym? It came back. I don't know what you would call it, But I just had a feeling that it was time for me to go and to do something bigger. The pharmaceutical industry had evolved significantly from when I began in 2001. It was becoming more or becoming increasingly more difficult to have contact with physicians. The money was great, but in hindsight, I took for granted everything I had while I worked with Pfizer. You know, they took great care of me. And that job forced me to get out of my comfort zone. I learned so much about the world and how business works, but there was something bigger I needed to do. But what might that be? What could be more significant than working at a health club or with a billion-dollar pharmaceutical company? Wait for it. Are you ready? Okay, here it is. What would be more significant than all of these would be preaching the Word of God. Now, some may be laughing right now. Some may be thinking, you went into preaching 
Why would you take that career path? Let me explain how I got to this point. I've had a lot of preachers in my family. My grandfather was a preacher. I have an uncle who is still preaching. I think he's in his late 80s, but he's still preaching every once in a while. I never thought that I would be a preacher, but never say never. As a young boy, I would preach from time to time if you really want to call it preaching. I grew up in a real small church of about 10 people. We had one cup when it came to partake of the Lord's Supper. We didn't have any Bible classes. We would drive from Urbana, Illinois to Indiana to worship with a few people there on Sundays. Yes, you heard that correctly. We believed that we had to use wine for the Lord's Supper and not grape juice. I I can remember making a radio commercial, so I guess I was into speaking even back then, where I invited people to services and how I emphasized what we had for the Lord's Supper. Now, I believe we had a misunderstanding of some scriptures concerning the wine being used for the Lord's Supper and the one cup. Now, my definition of preaching at that time was not I not really preaching. It was just gathering some verses from a concordance at the back of the Bible and then reading them and then sitting down. <laughs> oh, man. So, you know, back then I thought I was actually doing something. But in reality, I may have been hurting the morale of the people in the room as they tried to figure out exactly what I was doing or trying to say. But nonetheless, I am thankful that they even gave me that opportunity to, to stand up. So I moved to Rockford, Illinois. When I moved to Rockford, Illinois, I believe I already mentioned this, I got a chance to really preach for the first time. My first sermon was called, One More Night with the Frogs. It was a great lesson. It was great because it was not mine. You see, I stole it from another preacher. I I confessed my sin, all right? I, I took it almost word for word, or it may have been word for word. I had a lot of drive time when I was with Pfizer and sales, and I would spend a lot of my time listening to sermons. This was back in the day of the cassette tapes. And somehow I heard this lesson, and the rest is history. However, I would learn my lesson after, about using someone else's material, that it may come back to bite you. A few months after I preached that sermon, our congregation held a gospel meeting. A gospel meeting is when a, a visiting preacher comes in and teaches on a particular topic or topics for about a week or so. And can you guess who the visiting preacher was that year? Yep, it was the man who wrote the sermon that I had taken. I can't make this stuff up. I attended each night of the meeting, and I was scared every night. I was scared thinking I was going to be exposed as a fraud. I sat in the pew with fear and trembling. I prayed that he wouldn't preach that sermon I never had the nerve to tell him I used his sermon, and thankfully, he never preached it. A few years ago, one of my aunts sent sent me a copy of it, and I listened to it, and I couldn't believe what I was hearing. It was awful. I couldn't even finish listening to my own sermon. Thankfully, I've grown since that time. I've also grown when it comes to using someone else's material. I write my own sermons, and if I use someone's idea, I will ask and and give them credit. Needless to say, I didn't have a lot of tools or confidence to think that I should preach, but something changed between Rockford and Columbia. I saw the great need for preachers. Let's face it, how many men are saying that they want to be a preacher, at least a full-time preacher? 
Exactly. Hardly any. And many brethren joke about how preachers only work five hours per week. Well, if that was the case, then preaching would be the perfect job for every man to have. You could work five hours and then get to do whatever you wanted to do the rest of the week. We know that's not the case. I felt the need to preach. I was growing tired with pharmaceutical sales. I didn't feel like I was making an impact on the world as much as I could. I didn't hear a small, still voice that was telling me to preach. I didn't have a vision or anything like that. I saw a need. I walked by faith. The brethren in Columbia, Missouri were so great to Nikki and myself. For some strange reason, they gave me an opportunity also to preach after the local preacher moved. Again, I had no idea what I was doing, but an opportunity opened up. I was still in sales, but eventually I began praying that God would open a door for me to preach full time. That door would be opened. It is so interesting how God opens up doors. It's often not in the way we think. So I would be let go by Pfizer so so that I could go preach the gospel. I may have been the only person celebrating on that Friday morning after being told that I no longer had a job. You see, when God opens doors, he will open them big. I believe in the providence of God. I know that sometimes things happen by coincidence, but God is still working. Our God is alive. He always answers prayer. That's why we need to pray big. I did, my family did, and my church family did. I actually asked my congregation to pray that I get let go by Pfizer. You should have seen their faces when I made that request. But listen, we should be specific in our prayers. You think about 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 7-9, through 9, you see that the Apostle Paul was very clear and direct in his prayers. We should follow his example. While God may have something else in mind, we need to be bold when it comes to our prayers. Too many Christians pray small. We don't serve a small God or a little God, but one who is big. And that's why passages like Luke chapter 11 and Luke chapter 18, verses 1-8, through 8, remind us of prayer and how we should pray without ceasing. How does Jesus teach us to pray? He tells us to make our requests known. And what kind of confidence should we have in our Heavenly Father? We should have great confidence. My prayer was answered, but how, you may ask? Well, I'm so glad you asked. Let me tell you. While in Columbia, Missouri, I learned about a local church in Beaumont, Texas. That congregation was the Dallin Road Church of Christ. They had a preacher training program where they would bring in a young man and teach him how to preach. This is following the pattern of 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse number 2, where older men teach the younger men. You see, the congregation had been looking for a young man for about a year. Three previous men had already completed the program. Things were beginning to line up for me. I knew that my days with Pfizer were limited and it was time to go. So it's always better to have a plan before I was officially let go. I needed an exit strategy. So I was thinking about going to Arkansas to a Bible school, but my wife did not want to move there. So here's what I did. I inquired about the preaching program in Beaumont. I thought to myself, can anything good come out of Beaumont? The answer is yes. A lot of good came out of Beaumont. Nikki and I flew down for a weekend to talk to the shepherds of the congregation. The discussion went really well. I would get the offer to come to Beaumont. I took it. 
but I still needed to be let go from Pfizer. I guess I could have quit the company if for some reason I wasn't let go, but by being let go, I received a nice severance package. Now, Nikki and I made two good salaries while in Missouri, and for a while we had little to no debt, but sadly we were often unwise with the money we made. So getting the severance package was a good thing. When we moved to Beaumont, we moved paying off all of our debts. We were also blessed that we were able to sell our home. That was in 2009, so the housing market was terrible. It was not a seller's market. We broke even and didn't want to move to Texas and worry about a house in Missouri. And so God answered our prayers again. As a couple, we were, we were about to experience what I call our Abraham and Sarah moments. Are you familiar with the story of Abraham and Sarah? If you know the story of those two and the promises God gave to Abraham, then you'll have a good understanding of what the Bible is all about. I, I, I say that this was like our Abraham moment because Abraham was, was called by God um, to, uh, to move. And Abraham and Sarah, they went on this amazing journey with many answers not given to them. They would have to trust in God. Well, Nikki and I had our first Abraham and Sarah moment moving from Illinois to Missouri. I I don't mean that the Lord audibly spoke to me, but instead we believe that God was working in our lives and that this was the place he wanted us to be. This would be a move of faith like it was for Abraham and Sarah. So we sold our house. I was making $88,000 a year with Pfizer with a company car and excellent benefits And then moving to Beaumont, I started off with a salary of $25,000 waiting for me. Ouch. The congregation of Missouri also supported us financially for our first year. And while our finances were changing, I tell you what, it would be worth it. This was an opportunity I could not ignore because remember what I mentioned earlier about regret. I did not want to look back years later and say, you should have tried that preacher training program. We moved because life is about challenges. Too many people stay in the same place. Too many are afraid to fail. We can't be scared to fail. Life is about failing and learning and trying again. You get knocked down, you get back up. So looking back at all of this, I can see that this was just another learning process for me to get to this point of writing this book, going beyond the scale, in helping so many who struggle with poor health. I honestly did not know if this preaching program would work. I was told that if I was not a great fit, then I would be let go. That made me a little fearful. But the things we fear the most rarely happen. Nikki and I survived. In fact, we did more than just survived. We thrived. We made the adjustment with the lower salary, although it was difficult. We were humble, humbled and were able to learn a lot. I never thought how far the move from Columbia, Missouri to Beaumont, Texas would take us. The preaching program lasted for two years. It was tough but enjoyable. I had two great mentors, and I loved those men very much. During the training program, I learned how to write sermons. I put together workbooks, how to present sermons, teach Bible class, and so much more. I learned the value of excellent leadership. Nikki and I developed lasting relationships with the brethren. The two years flew by. I was extremely sad thinking about the idea that I would have to leave and begin working at another congregation. Listen to this. 
In 2011, God worked in another significant way. All of the previous men who entered the training program left to go to work with another congregation. That's how it was designed. But I was asked if I would be willing to stay full time and work with that church. Again, God did something that I never thought would happen. I thought to myself during the program, you know, how cool would it be if I were able to stay at Dallin Road and preach full time? My thoughts became a reality. Now, that's very cool. I was asked to stay as a full-time preacher, and of course, we accepted. Nikki and I were thrilled beyond measure. Some may think, wow, three preachers is a lot. That is true. But we have examples like Acts 13, where the church in Antioch of Syria had multiple teachers. There was a lot of work to do, and there always is a lot of work to do at a local congregation. That congregation at Dallin Road is a large church, so there was plenty of work to do. I was able to work there from 2009 to 2018. Now, I will tell you, I am a blessed man. Now, I did experience a lot during my time in Beaumont, Texas. During that time, I received two new ICDs, implantable cardioverter defibrillators. Nikki and I experienced the joy of having her son named Joshua. I experienced the death of my father and my grandparents, along with other family members. Nikki also suffered death among her families. I was able to preach the gospel in South Africa, Zimbabwe, Botswana, Mexico, Missouri, Arkansas, Louisiana, New York, Florida, Mississippi, Indiana, Minnesota, Colorado, and Alabama. I was able to do a lot of traveling. And I've seen many men and women become new creatures in Christ by believing in Jesus Christ and by being baptized for the forgiveness of sins. Now that is amazing. You see, I was able to experience so much. I'm thankful for all of the relationships I was able to experience and the influence that I have had that I have had upon others. It truly is humbling. As a preacher once said to me, God is good, not just some of the time, but all the time. That's chapter six. Stay tuned for chapter seven. Take care. Once again, thank you so much for tuning in to this episode. If you are in the need or looking for more motivation in your life, feel free to check out my website, benjaminlee.blog, where you can find hundreds of encouraging motivational blog posts on a variety of subjects. You can find all of my books, which can also be found on Amazon.com and other podcast interviews with a variety of people. I hope this helps. Please leave me a rating and a review. I can do and so can you. Take care and God bless. Hello and welcome to another episode of I Can Do. I am Benjamin Lee. Thank you so much for tuning in. I hope and pray all is well with you. Well, if you have listened to the last few episodes, you know that I have uh, been reading my book, Life Beyond the Scale. Uh, I want to pivot just for today and I want to talk a little bit about uh, Will Smith and Chris Rock. I know most everybody has already talked about it, uh, but I wrote a blog yesterday that you can find at benjaminlee.blog and also did something on YouTube and I want to share some thoughts here on this platform as well. 
this conversation, I think, is important. I do think it has uh, definitely uh, resonated with me. Um, I think in a few weeks, a few months, uh, as always, new news stories will come up. I don't talk about every single news event that has happened, uh, but I did want to talk a little bit about this. So this past Sunday, I was in Brooklyn, New York, where I did some preaching and teaching. And Sunday night is when Will Smith slapped Chris Rock during the Oscars. Needless to say, I was shocked at, at what happened. I've been thinking about it a lot the last few days. I've listened to others who have shared their opinions as well. I want to share a few thoughts from a couple of viewpoints with you this morning. Number one, I guess it's important to talk about, was this really real? Did did this really happen or was this just really great acting? Was all of this staged? My understanding and my belief, looking at everything that's happened since then, is that this was not something that was staged. This is not some kind of hoax or something like that. I say that because nothing positive has come out from Will Smith, at least from his standpoint, as a result of this. Number two, uh, the Academy Awards are investigating what happened. Number three, Chris Rock hasn't really talked about it, but will in due time. Number four, um, you can just tell by the emotions uh, that this was real. Uh, Number five, why make any kind of apology uh, unless this was something that was uh, staged? So this really happened. I think this was uh, uncontrolled anger, and uh, a lot of things have uh, resulted uh, because of it. So I want to share a couple of uh, perspectives that I think are important And I want to start from the worldly perspective. So there's a lot of views from a worldly standpoint about what Will Smith did, right? Some may say or have the thought at least that he was simply protecting his wife and good for him for standing up to Chris Rock. That's how some people view this. Uh, Another thought that some people may have is, well, if you disrespect me, I'm going to disrespect you as well. Then there are some who say, well, if you start something, then I'm going to finish it. And there are others who say, well, an eye for an eye, right? He did this, I'm going to retaliate and do this against him. While some have felt this way, there have also been others who view what Will did as, as so many people are saying, sickening. Uh, The world, the Hollywood, Hollywood celebrities who have their own viewpoints and everything and agendas on everything, now they're saying, well, this is absolutely sickening. Well, what's interesting about that standpoint and view from a worldly perspective, many of these people are agnostic, I'm sure, atheist, and and don't have any kind of biblical worldview. And yet they're saying that what Will did was wrong. And that raises a question. Wrong according to what standard? Was it just merely their standard of what is right or wrong? You see, this is the problem when people become their own standard, when people become subjective on what is true and what is right. At that moment, it was right in Will's, Will Smith's eyes. And at that moment, it seemed to be right as well with Jada as well. So who exactly is right? You see, this is the problem agnostics and atheists have to deal with and cannot fully understand because their worldview is not founded upon truth. Now, I will admit to you that when I saw what Will did, there was something inside of me that connected with his action. And here's what I mean by that. And that's not a good thing. What I mean by that is that growing up, I had a lot of anger issues. 
I would often threaten people and tell them how I was going to kill them when I got upset. That's not good. I got a lot of whoopings as well. I got a lot of whoopings and I had a lot of discipline from my mom and from my grandmother uh, because of this mindset that I had. And I think more kids need that today. There was a moment in college when I lost my cool and hit one of my friends. He came home drunk from the bars and he said something about my mom and it wasn't good. I don't even remember what he said. Maybe it wasn't even that big of what he said, but I lost control and I should not have done it. I still had a choice to make and I failed in that moment. So when I watch these videos, I can relate where Will just seems to snap. And again, I'm not advocating that. The world advocates vengeance at all costs to protect family, the family name or something else. At least that's how it appears. That's how it feels, especially when you think about Hollywood and the movies that are out there. But the worldly perspective is not the perspective that we should follow. You see, the Apostle Paul spoke about the deeds of the flesh in Galatians 5, 19 through 21. Those who practice such things, and you can read that for yourself, Galatians chapter 5, verses 19 through 21, will not inherit the kingdom of God. Rather, we are to be led by the Holy Spirit, walk by the Spirit, be led by the Spirit. According to Galatians 5, verses 22 through 26, that includes self-control. I often think about Genesis chapter 4 as well, verses 6 and 7, where God told Cain, Why are you angry? And why has your countenance fallen? If you do well, will not your countenance be lifted up? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. And its desire is for you, but you must master it. You see, sin was crouching at Will's door. He failed to master it. I, too, have been guilty of that as well. Have you? So from a worldly perspective, that's not going to get us to the right place. So let's talk about from a Christian or biblical perspective. As I think about the events that unfolded Sunday, my mind went to the scriptures. And one in particular is Matthew 5, verses 38 through 39, where Jesus said, You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye, and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist an evil person. But whoever slaps you on your right cheek, turn the other to him also. Well, these words are challenging from Jesus. In fact, the entire Sermon on the Mount Matthew 5, 6, and 7 are challenging. It can be easy to dismiss these verses or to soften them. Now, I do believe a person has a right to defend themselves, and yet there was no physical danger for Will or for Jada. I think about Jesus on the cross where he did not retaliate with evil. I know the argument is that Jada has a physical condition. That's true. And I don't think people should make fun of a person's physical condition. I don't know if Chris really knew about her situation. Did Will overreact? I would say yes. His action ruined the evening for himself and everyone else. As many have noted, no one is talking about the other winners. We're not even discussing the fact that Will Smith won an Oscar. We're only considering his actions. That's the danger of anger and the heat of the moment. 
What also stood out to me was how Chris responded. He responded in a way that I think a lot of people probably would not have responded, if I'm being honest. He didn't curse. He didn't retaliate. It doesn't mean that he doesn't curse. He curses in his shows. But at that moment, he didn't curse. He did not retaliate. He tried to communicate with Will when he said it was just a joke. I don't know what Chris believes with respect to Jesus and the Bible, but his response is noteworthy. This entire situation is a reminder of the danger of anger. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 26, Be angry, and yet do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. A man by the name of Nehemiah is a great example of how to handle anger when it arises. Nehemiah, in Nehemiah chapter 5, the Bible says, Then I was very angry when I had heard their outcry and these words. I consulted with myself, contended with the nobles and the rulers, and said to them, You are exacting usury, each from his brother. You see, anger is a powerful emotion. Standing up for our wives is a noble thing to do. And yet, we are to do it while being under control. So, what could have Will done? He could have communicated during the commercial break to Chris how he was offended. There was apparently plenty of time to do that. He could have mentioned something in his acceptance speech. There were a number of avenues he could have used to correct the issue. I also think about Will and Jada and what they have shared with respect to their marriage. If I'm correct, and you can feel free to correct me, they have an open marriage. Well, that's not God's plan. One can read Genesis 2, verses 24 through 25. Husband and wife are to be one flesh, and other people are not supposed to be a part of that one flesh or that sexual relationship. Husbands are to love their wives even as Christ loved the church, according to Ephesians 5, verses 25 through 33. God created marriage for one man and one woman. The sexual relationship is for that man and woman in marriage. An open marriage will never work. People can deceive themselves thinking that it will, but it will not. You see, God's way is always the best way. I believe it was in 2021 when Jada on her TV show shared with Will her affair, and you could just see the pain. I think I read something where Will was saying he was just tired that day. But man, I think I'd be tired of sitting there listening to my wife talking about in detail this affair. For the world to hear. So I'm wondering now, as many others are as well, how much that embarrassment led to this moment. Will was laughing originally at the joke, then he looked at his wife. And maybe that was just a a, a natural response of wanting to protect his wife. But on the other hand, I think we can say it looked like he snapped. Maybe there's no connection, but maybe there is. What's clear is that Will reached a breaking point with him and his family being the brunt of jokes. At least that's what it seems to be. Uh, (coughs) Excuse me. I will say that if Chris knew about Jada's condition, he should not have said the joke. It appears that he didn't. (coughs) Excuse me. But I am glad that Will did apologize to Chris the next day via Instagram. Now, what would have been really amazing is if he would have done it during his acceptance speech. 
I wonder if the crowd of actors would have given him a standing ovation if he did that as well. It's hard to admit that I'm wrong. It's hard to admit our sins, but it's something that we are called to do. So the worldly perspective, the Christian perspective, and I want to talk just a little bit from a black perspective. I'm a black man. And maybe I've drawn to this, maybe I'm drawn to this situation because it is Will Smith and Chris Rock. Now, obviously, I, I don't endorse everything that they have done or said throughout the years. You do see two black men who have risen to a certain level in Hollywood. It is Will Smith and Chris Rock. I've been watching Will Smith for a long time. Independence Day, Hitch, and a variety of other movies. Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. People are going to listen, and people have listened and sung to his music. I was listening to retired NFL tight end Shannon Sharp on one of his podcasts earlier today. He said some things that got me thinking about the black perspective regarding this event. Many in the black community are highly disappointed, and rightfully so, because these moments don't often happen for blacks. Few blacks have ever won an Oscar, and Will Smith is the fifth black man to win an Oscar for a leading role. I believe that's correct. So from a black perspective, it is disappointing. Uh, It's a sad moment, uh, or moment that was lost, sadly, to... Uh, This event, and there were other black winners and white winners for that matter. The entire show was dampened. Kareem Abdul-Jabbar spoke about how this event feeds the stereotypes many have towards blacks and how most are violent in nature. And so for a lot of blacks, people are saying, well, now Will Smith has gone down that path. Many, I think from a black perspective, are disappointed and wish that this was handled in a totally different way. What do you think? You know, it's so easy to talk about everybody else, but what about us? How will I respond when people offend me? And I will tell you, it has not always been the proper way. How will you and I respond if someone offends our family or a family member? Or if a brother or sister in Christ hurts us. Our prayer should be that we respond in a way that is pleasing to God. Those are my thoughts. Maybe you agree. Maybe you disagree. Please let me know. Thank you so much. Talk to you later.